I want to introduce to us a new series today that we're going to be going through for the next few weeks between now and uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving uh, when we'll enter into the holiday season. And the new series is based on uh, a new book by Peter Scazzaro. Many of you may be familiar with a pastor and author who wrote uh, his new book is Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. He's got several emotionally healthy books. I think his first one was Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, uh, Emotionally Healthy Church, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. Uh, and this is kind of the culmination, apparently, of, of kind of his life's, life's long work on helping us as Christians and as church people to understand the importance and the value of being emotionally healthy in our discipleship with Jesus. And um, he says that rather than being satisfied with a more shallow form of discipleship, in our lives that doesn't really impact or change you in any significant ways. If we learn how to pursue a more emotionally healthy discipleship, he says this is a kind of discipleship that deeply changes you in your relationship with God. And as a result, it has a real and lasting impact on your relationships with other people. Now, if you like, if you have time or space, you can read the book uh, as we're going through this series. There's a little assessment in there you can take on your own current state of emotional health. Uh, it, it's a wonderful book. You can read it individually. You can invite a friend to do it. Maybe if you're in a small group or a disciple group, you might choose to do that together for a few weeks as a group. Uh, but then for those who are interested, we're also there are two courses that uh, he has developed that kind of walk us through the two sides of what he says emotionally healthy discipleship consists of. And that is, first of all, emotionally healthy spirituality, and then emotionally healthy relationships. And uh, if there's interest uh, in the new year and through the, the rest of the year, we're going to invite people to consider going through that course together uh, to take a deeper dive into our own emotional and spiritual health as Christians and as a church together. But for now, I want to suggest that this is a critically important topic for us to be thinking about and talking about in the season in which we find ourselves and also for the future ahead of what the church might be and become. I think it's an important topic at any time, of course, but especially right now at this time as we continue to feel the impact and the ramifications of the COVID-19 pandemic the changing cultural landscape around us, and the real ongoing risks to church as we know it. One of the hard truths that we need to wrestle with and we need to continue to talk about is that we know that as a result of having gone through the COVID-19 pandemic in many ways, the church will never go back to what it was before the pandemic. It just won't. Everything has changed. Many of the changes we're experiencing were not necessarily caused by the pandemic, but the pandemic served to accelerate everything into light speed so that now we're kind of reeling from the dramatic changes and shifts we've been through. We're not sure what the future holds or, or what it means to be church in the new landscape in which we find ourselves. And, and if we hold out too much hope that, that we're going to get back to where we were before the pandemic, the risk is that we'll likely just be disappointed. And we may miss the real opportunities that we do have that God might lead us to, to learn to live 
and to love and to work for God's kingdom in new and different but deeply meaningful ways. And so part of why I believe the topic of emotionally healthy discipleship is so important for us right now is that in the midst of all of this stuff that we're going through, one of the important things that we're also learning from the pandemic is that in many ways, as a human society, we have forgotten how deeply social and emotional we really are as creatures. When many of the social aspects of our lives were forcibly removed and we were faced with having to live life at a a slower pace and in greater isolation from one another, we all began to reprioritize the values that we place on our time and in our relationships, and that's a part of what has changed around us. And one of the reasons why many suspect that people are not returning to church on Sundays is that with the limited time and energy that people have and the increased priorities on time with family and close friends and developing healthier margins and better balance in our lives and trying to maintain our own mental and emotional health while many of us still feel like we are simply living in survival mode. The reality is that going to church simply doesn't seem relevant enough to make the cut. And so if we're wise as a church, I think we can begin to see that in each of these things there are real needs that people are identifying. There are are real desires that people have that connect to the heart of what the church is and what God would call us to be in the lives of people that he would call us to serve. And there's an opportunity for us, if we're willing to begin to reimagine how we can do church differently, to actually meet people in the places where they're at socially and emotionally, rather than expecting them to come to us first, so that we can actually provide real help and real hope for people in real lives who are living those lives outside of these four walls. However, in order to bridge this increasing gap between the felt needs of the people in our culture and what they see the church is and has to offer, we may need to reimagine the ways in which we do church that more readily connects with and provides the help and the healing that they're needing and that they're looking for and give them ways to find it and connect with it. Because the challenge is they're not going to show up here on Sunday morning or even join us online as their first step. Changing gears and doing things differently isn't always an easy thing to do, though, is it? It's true for us as, as a church, but it's also true for us individually. It's really hard to change. In fact, the older you get, the harder it is to change. I have a pastor friend who used to be a a physical fitness trainer in his kind of side job, and one of the things that, that he concluded is that when you get past the age of 40 years old, the likelihood of you actually making a lifestyle change, it becomes infinitesimally small because we get so ingrained in our patterns and we get so comfortable in doing it the way we've always done it that to actually do the work and the effort to change the habits and the behaviors of our lives is too much for us to actually be willing to do. And so most of those efforts fail. But if we can begin to get a handle on why things need to change, 
Maybe we can begin to better understand how we all might participate in beginning to be able to pursue life and ministry differently, both individually and as a faith community. And this is where I believe a better understanding of emotionally healthy discipleship can play a part. In the same way that we explored in our previous series as introverts and extroverts, as innies and outies, and how these differences between us need to play a part of how we think about what it means to be and to do church, and that by paying better attention uh, to the differences in personalities, we might become a more well-rounded community that has something for everyone. Peter Scazzaro suggests in his book that the starting point for a more emotionally healthy discipleship is recognizing the ways in which we have overemphasized the doing of activities for God to the neglect of time spending in the presence of God. And with this, I'd like to suggest as a church One of the key things that we're learning from the pandemic that we need to pay attention to and that we need to wrestle with moving forward is that in the future, church can no longer be primarily about encouraging people to come to church and to pursue activity for God. Instead, we must recapture and reclaim the priority of teaching and training people in the essential value and discipline of learning how to be with God. The Bible tells us that part of living in a Christian community, part of what it means to be a church, is that we can become a safe place where each of us can begin to be be honest with ourselves and with one another about our own brokenness and our own weakness and our own shortcomings, and we can begin to find help and we can find healing and we can find encouragement for the journey as as we begin to grow into greater and greater maturity, including spiritual and emotional maturity, so that we can together represent the fullness of Christ, both with one another and in the world. In this season of change, it seems for me that that this topic of maturity keeps coming up over and over again. And and, and related to that, the Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 passage seems to be a key passage that, at least for me, God won't let me get away from. Uh, We used it in our last series. We've heard it several times, and today we're going to read it again. Beginning in verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of God. You see how the activity of the church is designed to lead us to maturity. It's not an end in itself. It's a part of the discipleship process that as we do life together in Christian community, the the goal is that we're growing and that we're maturing and we're becoming more emotionally and socially healthy as we become more and more like Jesus. In verse 14, it says, Then we will no longer be infants 
tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in all their deceitful scheming. Doesn't that kind of feel like what's going on in our culture today? I mean, if I had to describe my, my feelings about what I see when I read all, you know, the news and I, and I hear the talking heads on TV and I, and I, and I watch what happens in our political and social debate, it, it's like people are being tossed back and forth by, by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people and all of their deceitful scheming because none of it seems like a legitimate desire to make a better world. It all feels like it's all about winning and power and me first. And if you don't agree with me and we don't have the same perspective, then not only can I not be in relationship with you, but I'm required to to put you down and to assassinate your character and to tell everybody that you are basically evil. Instead, Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now again, he ends with work, but where does he start? Where does the work come from? It comes from the head. It comes from our time spent connected to Jesus. And that that the lifestyle of the Christian is designed to be the overflow of our life spent with God. Not something that we're supposed to do and manufacture in order to make ourselves acceptable to God so that somehow we can get to the point where someday we might actually be able to spend time with Him. Scazzaro says that understanding this completeness of our human nature, that that we are physical and intellectual and spiritual and emotional, is a part of beginning to understand that emotional health and spiritual maturity cannot be separated. In fact, he even goes further to say it this way. He says, it is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And when we ignore the emotional components of our lives, we end up moving through the motions of Christian disciplines and activities and behaviors and doing church, uh, but deeply rooted behavioral patterns that, that hang on from our pasts and from our families of origin continue to hinder us from experiencing the authentic healing and freedom that Christ died to give us. But the reality is that that kind of healing, that kind of life transformation and restoring work is not something that we can manufacture on our own. It cannot be a program of the church. The Bible clearly tells us that this kind of life transformation is simply and only a product of the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ that that transforms a human heart from the inside out. But when we end our days exhausted, 
from trying to meet the endless needs around us. And then our free time gets filled up with even more demands in an already overburdened life. And then we come and we approach church in the same way that we've always done it, focusing on all the activity for God and getting people to do more and give more and be more. Though we may spend lots of time and energy on behalf of God, the reality is that our own lives remain largely unchanged. And the only thing that we really have to offer other people is the same shallow form of discipleship that we've all been living year after year after year after year, which is why nobody thinks that church is relevant to their lives anymore. And so the reality and the challenge and the invitation that Scazzaro identifies suggests that in all our efforts to worship God and serve God week in and week out, if we're truly honest with ourselves and with one another, is that we often end up skimping on our actual relationship with God. In fact, he goes even further again to say some of us are actually addicted. Not to drugs or alcohol, but to the adrenaline rush of doing. We fear what might fall apart if we stop to rest, and so we just keep going. And you see, in this kind of a a culture, in this kind of a, a church, over time, we can begin to find that even our attempts at trying to be good Christians and do church in the right way and to serve God and to serve others can begin to feel more like a burden on our lives rather than the very source of the healing that we need for the fractured brokenness of our own souls. Scazzaro says, unless we can learn how to make this shift away from doing for and back toward being with, our spiritual and emotional maturity will continue to languish. Now, think about it with me for a minute, right? This doing for versus being with isn't a new topic in our lives. It's not a new topic for the Bible, is it, right? If you go back and just think about the story of Martha and Mary, in their relationship with Jesus, right? In Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 39, it says, Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Right? If we look at this story, we can see that Martha is well-intended. She is actively, and can we even say frantically, serving Jesus. But in the very process, she's missing him. She's touchy and irritable and worried. And in all of her anxiety, she thinks that the next right step is to start to tell Jesus what to do. <laughs> you ever been there? I have. 
But you see, this story also suggests that Mary is active too, but in a different way. She intentionally sits at Jesus' feet, attentively listening to him. She's focused on being with Jesus, enjoying communion with him, learning to love him and value him. Mary is engaged in a completely different spirituality. One that has the ability to to actually slow down and prioritize time being with, not just doing for. And the reality is, I think that in our modern, Western, American, consumer, capitalistic culture, the reality is we are too busy to ever slow down. And we don't have time to sit at the feet of Jesus and to spend time being with him and to simply just enjoy communion with the Savior of the world and the lover of our souls. I'm sorry, Jesus, we got stuff to do. As a result, we often neglect to reflect on what's actually going on inside of us and how we're reacting to the world around us, and to bring that into our relationship with God through His Holy Spirit and allow Him to help us navigate all of the emotions that we struggle with and that we deal with and to begin to transform our lives from the inside out. And so we run a high risk of being more like Martha. And while we love Jesus and we do for Jesus and we come to church and we want to be good Christians, all the while we're missing Jesus. And as a result, we remain stuck as spiritual and emotional infants. We we were not maturing and we're not able to help other people know what it means to be maturing as Christians. And yet, without this kind of spirituality and relationship with Jesus to ground us and to center us on on the most important value of our relationship with Him, Scazzaro says that all of our doing in life and even our doing for Jesus shifts our sense of value and worth as human beings from being grounded in God's unconditional love for us. The ones who are created in His image, made to be like Him, the ones that He gave His Son's life to bring back to Himself, our value and our worth shifts from God's unconditional love to our, the success and the failure of our works and our activity and our performance. As if somehow God created us to be human doings and not human beings. And as a result, we always feel drained and tired and overwhelmed and scared and worried and empty. Scazzaro says, and that's when the peace, the clarity, and the spaciousness of our life with Christ slowly, almost imperceptibly, disappears. Now, Jesus knew this about Martha and Mary, right? Jesus knows this about you and me. 
He knows the temptation and the pull that we have, that we struggle with, to not only believe that we can continue to fill our time and our schedules with more and more activities without ever experiencing any kind of emotional cost or diminishing returns. He also knows that our temptation is to believe that we should be able to do that. And so many of us are either rushing after this this holy grail of being able to do it all, or else we just simply feel like a failure because we know that we'll never be successful at doing that. But either way, we live unhappy and dissatisfied lives because we think that we're failing at what we're supposed to be doing. Now, I, I think that's why Jesus took so much time with his own 12 disciples before he went to the cross to warn them about this risk and to encourage them to avoid this pitfall in life and in Christian ministry and what it means to be church, to help them to begin to visualize this spiritual dynamic that he wanted them to learn. He used this image that was familiar to them at the time of a grapevine and its branches. And our worship team read for us the beginnings of John chapter 15, I want to read them again, and then we'll, we'll go on to go even a little further. But if you remember what they read for us, beginning in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean, or you could say you are already pruned clean, right? Because of the word that I have spoken. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. It must, that's a strong word, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, (laughs) abiding in Jesus, staying connected to him as the vine. Excuse me. Jesus says, is what leads to fruitful life and ministry as Christians. If you get that the wrong way around, you're not going to see the fruit. You're not going to experience the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. What Jesus wants all of his disciples to understand, including us, is that like a grapevine and its branches, all of our time spent abiding in Jesus, staying connected to Jesus, and remaining in Jesus' love is the very thing that we need to cleanse us, to prune us, to heal us, and to prepare us to be able to live the Christian life and to be able to share that same love that Jesus gives to those who so desperately need it. But if we're not spending time abiding in Jesus and sharing our emotions and our lives and our hearts and our struggles and letting Him, through the Holy Spirit, help us to navigate the ins and outs of the inner workings of our own souls, 
being continually shaped and transformed by his word and by how the Holy Spirit uses that word to teach us and to train us and to help us live into the truth. We will remain spiritually and emotionally immature and we will struggle to know how to lead others who don't even know Jesus yet into emotionally maturing, healthy, Christ-like, loving relationships. That's why Jesus goes on in that chapter, beginning in verse 9, to say, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about loving relationship with the the Savior of the world and the, the one who gave his life to bring you back into relationship with himself. Don't don't miss the love that he has available for you. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have come at my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete, your joy may be full. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay one's life down for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Why is that so hard? (laughs) And yet it is. Can I suggest that one of the, the main reasons why it is so hard for us as human beings, even human beings who are Christians and in the church, to genuinely obey Jesus' command and genuinely love each other is because deep down, if we're really honest, is that we really don't love ourselves. If we can't be emotionally healthy in our relationship with Jesus, how can we lead other people into an emotionally healthy relationship? We've got to start by abiding in Jesus' love for us. Jesus loves you, and therefore you need to learn to love yourself. Because if you can't love yourself, you're never going to learn to love your neighbor as Jesus commands. And that's why we need one another. Brothers and sisters, we need to help each other with this. Because it's hard to love ourselves, isn't it? See, if we're not aware of how this critically important aspect of our relationship with God and what it means to actually abide in Christ's love for us so that we can be transformed by that love from the inside out, we can spend years, lifetimes, following Jesus and yet remain spiritual and emotional infants. 
And we fail to experience the deep inner healing and the joy that Jesus wants us to experience because of his sacrifice and his love for each one of us. And so Schizero challenges us to consider that if we're not careful, we can actually end up using God. And our focus on doing for God in the church to run away from the truth of what's really inside us, to deny our anger, to ignore our pain, to skip over our depression, to hide our loneliness, and to avoid our doubts, and to come to church Sunday after Sunday and with a smile on our face ask each other, how are you doing? And we all say, great, how are you? When nothing could be further from the truth. Men and women, we are messed up, broken, hurting people, and we have learned how to hide in church. It's not going to cut it anymore. It's not going to happen. The veil has been torn away. The jig is up. The emperor has no clothes. People are not coming back to church. So we got to get healthy. And we got to get connected to the vine. And we have to follow Jesus' command to go to where they are and love them where they are because they're not coming back here as their first step. So in order to take make a first step in making this shift, we can start simply by exploring some key questions about our own lives. And I'm going to leave you kind of with this today, and then we're going to spend the next few weeks going deeper. But I just want to give us some time to just sit at Jesus' feet, be with Jesus here this morning. I mean, that's why we came, right? We came here to be with Jesus. So just sit here a moment and we're going to put some questions on the screen and in the privacy of your own heart and the throne room of God, which we are connecting your heart to God's throne room this morning, I just want you to wrestle with these questions with God's spirit. What things are worrying or upsetting you today? What are you angry about or what are you, what are you sad about? What are you afraid of this morning? As you wrestle with those questions, here's some additional questions. Greg asked us this earlier, what, what keeps you from slowing down and taking time to be with God? What is the obstacle? What's in the way? Why don't you do it? What is one step 
that you could take today to actually slow down and live more attentively to the voice of Jesus. One simple thing that you could do today. How might the very brokenness or the weakness of your life today actually be an opportunity for God's power to be demonstrated to you, that he actually does love you, that he actually is with you, and that he can help you like no one else can. I want to invite the worship team to come and lead us in response to God's word for us today. As we do, I just want to leave you with these final words. Brothers and sisters, too often we find that we are operating from a place of emotional and spiritual emptiness. We're overwhelmed, we're tired. Our emotional, our spiritual gas tanks are gasping on fumes. But all we know how to do is more. To just keep moving forward, usually until something happens that forces us to stop, right? In many ways, church as we knew it is never going to be the same again. But in this season, we have an incredible opportunity to discover and learn new ways to reconnect with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and to learn to meet people where they're at and through the power of His love within us to find real help and real hope for people's real lives. In the future, church can no longer be primarily about encouraging people to come to church and to do things for God. We need to discover ourselves and then lead people into the very presence of God. Amen?